0: Hey there, Laura here. I wanted to mention that for the month of December, Homemade Strong is going to be taking a much needed Christmas break. But don't worry, we're still going to have new episodes each week. For December, we are jumping back to share a few of the most viewed sessions from the previous church mental health summits. And I can't wait to share some of these fantastic talks and resources with you. From Hope Made Strong, this is the Care Ministry Podcast, a show about equipping ministry leaders and transforming communities through care. Supporting those in your church and community not only changes individuals' lives, but it grows and strengthens the church. But we want to do that without burning out. So listen in as we learn about tools, strategies, and resources that will equip your team and strengthen hope. I'm Laura Howe, and welcome to the Care Ministry Podcast. I am so excited about our show today because it is a flashback to one of the sessions in our 2022, so the summit we just had, our Church Mental Health Summit session with Avery Royal. Avery has worked in ministry for over a decade, but she found that although many churches desire to serve their community and meet needs, there is a gap in the supports that are Actually offered by the church. So in response, Avery developed an organization called Sacred Roots with the desire to educate, equip churches with the tools they need to provide the appropriate levels of care to their employees, to their communities, and to their congregation. And I was so honored to have Avery join the Church Mental Health Summit this year and speak about grief and loss. Now, despite the holidays being an exciting time to gather and to have Christmas parties and parades and all of the lights and all the fun things, it can be a really hard time for those who have lost a loved one or experiencing grief. I do think churches are beginning to recognize this because I am seeing more and more congregations have services around grief or maybe even creating spaces for lamenting around the holidays, like a candlelit service. Actually, last Last year was the first time I heard of the term a blue Christmas service. Now, for some of you, that might be old news, but for me, it was brand new. And so back in episode 11, uh, I hosted the podcast with Carrie Barkas, and she shared all about the power of standing with people who are suffering. And then she offered a free downloadable uh, blue Christmas planning guide. And it is so valuable and I wanted to highlight it again this year. So you're going to want to go back and check out episode 11 at hopemadestrong.org slash episode 11 to listen to Carrie's episode as well as download that blue Christmas planning guide. And when I was looking at what summit session can we, you know, flash back to or we can highlight during this December, Avery's presentation on how to create sacred spaces for your church, it really, really stood out. I was like, you know what, this is the one, this is what we need to share this Christmas. Because so many churches are, are coming into this Christmas season with limited resources, budgets, uh, people, and time. And it could be really difficult to tend to all of the needs uh, at Christmas, those who are suffering, but also wanting to celebrate the birth of Jesus. Plus, there's even, you know, or often some sort of community outreach or donation or something happening during the holidays. Churches and leaders feel stretched beyond capacity. And some announcements feel like you're having whiplash. I have to laugh at this because in one breath, you're encouraging people to come to the children's concert. And and then you're inviting people to donate to the food bank. And then you're encouraging people to invite their neighbor to their Christmas Eve service. And then at, you know, the very next breath, you're acknowledging or offering condolences to those who have lost a loved one. So it can be really, really tricky to do all of those things. But I love what Avery does in her talks. She takes the idea or the concept of supporting grief and loss outside of the box. She takes it outside of a service or out of a program. And she encourages us to view supporting those who are suffering, part of a role or a function of the church or the DNA or the 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 characteristics of the church and i just love how she takes scripture to offer context around this role of supporting grief and loss and she even shares a little bit of her own experience in seeking support from her church when she was experiencing some tremendous grief. And she shares a little bit about that. So I know that you're going to enjoy this session from the 2022 Church Mental Health Summit. Here is Avery. Thank
1: you so much for tuning in to this session on grief and loss and creating sacred spaces for your church to heal. I want to give just a big thank you to Laura and her team at Hope Hoping Strong for inviting me to be a part of the bigger conversation that's happening. And I just want to thank everyone that's watching these videos and who's joined in Um, on this conversation about church and mental health because it's about time that we really start generating this conversation, getting some answers, bringing all parties to the table to really start talking about how we could help the body of Christ, God's bride, right, the church uh, to really begin to heal when it comes to mental health, when it comes to suffering and loss in these ways. Um, My name is Avery. I'm um, just excited to be here today. I'm the owner of Sacred Roots Training. Um, which was essentially founded after 12 years in ministry, seeing just a gap between the services that the church or a nonprofit or even an employer was providing uh, to help their people and the actual uh, people meeting re- the services, the community in need. And I truly just wanted to create a space where we could close that gap just a little bit more, right? Um, educating and equipping teams to help people at the appropriate level and in the appropriate way. So often we hear about people coming to their church first before they call a medical provider, before they call a counselor or psychologist or checking themselves into a program when they're in need in terms of mental health. And I think it's time for the church to really start to notice that they are a safe haven. They are a safe harbor for people. And we've got to train ourselves to be ready uh, to assist people properly And well, when it comes to those things. So, if you'd love to hear more about that, more about my business, how maybe I can come help, uh, check out our website. It's sacredrootsllc.org. It has my social medias on there, my email, my telephone number. I'd love to talk, to get to know you, to hear about what your needs are, and how we can kind of train and get you and your team better prepared to receive those in crisis or in need. So, let's go ahead and dive right in. Hopefully, you got that document that I sent over. It has the information we're talking about today and a little bit more, um, uh, some insights, some options, some practices that you could implement um, immediately. Uh, So let's dive right in. Uh, Today, when I talk about grief, I'm also gonna use the word uh, suffering interchangeably. I think there are so many types of grief um, that we go through uh, as humans, right? In our human experience and grief sits under the larger umbrella of suffering. And so we're kind of using those interchangeably today because the truth is these principles, And these things that I'm talking about can be applied across many topics. Now, when we're talking about the church and we're talking about the human experience, we've got to go ahead and see what the word says about these things. Now, God talks a lot about death. He talks a lot about mourning and suffering within his word. But I want to take a look at just a few um, scriptures before you. So if you've got your Bible, go ahead and open up to Ecclesiastes 7.2. I'm going to read it here for you. It says, it is better to go to a house of mourning than to go to a house of feasting. For death is the destiny of everyone. The living should take this to heart. Now, first, I think the most obvious thing for us to receive out of this word is that death is the destiny for everyone. And what it doesn't say here is that death happens for Christians when they're in their old age, they have lived a fulfilled life, they're safe from all sickness and disease, accidents and tragedy. That's not what it says. And yet somehow it's really shocking to some Christians when tragedy strikes, right? When death comes way too soon. um, And we're wondering why, how did this happen, right? But God's very clear. Death is certain for everyone it's the destiny of everyone, but it's not certain how that's going to happen in our lives. And then the next line there, it says the living should take this to heart. Now, anytime the Bible talks about taking this to heart, putting this on your heart, placing this on your heart, we really need to pay attention because this is saying this should shape how we live, how we make our choices, how we engage with ourselves, our life and the world around us. This is an insight, right? um, To telling how we live our lives. So that's a really big key one that I think is going to set up, set us up today. Now go down just a few more um, passages to Ecclesiastes 7, 4. And it says here, the heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of pleasure. And I think the wisdom found is in being familiar, right? Being in the house of death, being the house of grief. I think this really helps shape perspective. This really helps us to change our lifestyle. So often we want to push grief away. We want to push death away from us. But truly, we need to allow it to inform us and shape us and change us. And oftentimes when someone loses a loved one, um, that really makes them start thinking about how they're taking care of their body because we are mind, body, and spirit, right? I think this also creates respect across generations. Younger people begin to really respect a long-lived life. And those who are older can really respect the fresh and new things that come with new life, right? So we have this cycle of respect that goes through generations when we allow ourselves to be familiar with both death and grief. And we allow it, like it said in the scripture before, to shape us. We put that on our heart, right? We let that guide how we live. And I think truly this is really difficult, especially in Western culture, but also very Western American culture, um, because we push against this. Um, up to the 19th century, death was very familiar. People were dying in their homes with their loved ones surrounding them. But often that's not the case now. And I think the progression of medical facilities that makes it a good thing. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we go back to that. But what I am suggesting is that we acknowledge that we are placing barrier after barrier between us and that familiarity, right? Living in that house of mourning, starting that grief journey, because we do so many things to keep us away from the uncomfortability of what death and grief can bring right and we create those protective barriers to try to help and help us not feel too much but the truth is when we do that we go numb and we aren't shaped and we don't gain wisdom and our lives aren't changed and our generations don't build that cycle of respect that we talked about before and we miss out on a lot of impact that death can bring when it comes to the individual view but also the world view I think a lot of our worldviews were changed uh, globally through the pandemic with so much loss and so much death. It really started making people think, what is my life? What does it mean, right? Do I matter? Does my living matter? And how well am I taking care of myself? The last scripture I want to read here is Matthew 5, 4. And I won't get into any of the kind of geek Greek moments with you, but I highly recommend always learning those original languages because they do really shape the text in such a beautiful way. But Matthew 5, 4 says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. But the truth is when we really translate that down to the original Greek, it says the blessed mourn and are being comforted. So changes that we see is that you're not blessed because you mourn, right? That's how it translates in English. It's that the blessed ones, the children of God, those saved, those in his new covenant, those under his blood, they're guaranteed to mourn. They're guaranteed suffering. They're guaranteed loss, right? But the promise is that they're being comforted actively, right? Right here, right now, comfort is available from God and from the body of Christ. And this would have been really radical to the first hearers of this. Um you know those Jews who were listening, they felt, you know, as the holy ones, right? Um the chosen ones of God that they should be kind of out from under the suffering that it shouldn't be affecting them. And truly they were suffering in every form that a person can suffer. Poverty, marginalization, you know, um sickness, disease, oppression, all kinds of things were causing them to be a people of suffering, right? But God was telling them look, the reality is my children suffer because we are in a broken, fallen world. But the greater reality, the gift is, is that comfort is available through me and through the body that I'm creating because Christ was essentially establishing his body, right, um, as he came to earth. And we kind of see the body um, of Christ in its infancy uh, just a few chapters down in Matthew in chapter 26 when Jesus is um, praying in the garden before uh, his crucifixion and he gathers his disciples. He sets one group here. He takes his favorite three and goes just a little bit away. I love how the scripture says it's a stone's throw away. But I think that's key because he wasn't that far. He wasn't that far for them to realize that he himself was grieving. And if you've been in pastoral care or a pastor or work to support people in any way in a, in a people helping way for at least 30 days, you're in the, you're going to end up sitting with somebody who's been suffering, right. Who's going through something and truly it's noticeable. You can see it in their physical presence, in their eyes, right. In the way they carry themselves in the way they're weeping, right. Or maybe the way they're not weeping, they're just shocked. And, and in this, um, Part of Scripture, it really goes into detail about the deep sorrow and grief that Jesus was in. And if they're only a stone's throw away, the disciples should have known, they should have seen. And He asked them, it says in the in the English, "Stay up and watch." But truly, in the Greek, that that word "watch" means "stay up and be present with me. Don't leave me alone in my moment of sorrow." And I think this is a beautiful invitation that Jesus is showing us for a very first time: is that the body is required for those who are grieving. Be with me. Stay with me. Don't fall asleep on me. Consider this enough for your time and for your energy, right? My grief should be enough for your time and for your energy. Just be with me. And I love that even Jesus himself was needing comfort from the body that he was creating through the disciples and the many, many others that would go um, beyond them. And sadly, those disciples fell asleep on him. And I have to ask how many of us are falling asleep. So why does God ask us to be present with our grief and present with one another, right? Why are we doing that? Why are we staying watchful? Why are we staying the body? And truly, I think, I believe it's because God has faith and confidence in his people to be the body and to be comfort to one another as Christ is for the world. I fully believe he believes in us. He's confident in our ability You know, even though those disciples fell asleep, even though maybe us as a church have been falling asleep a little too much when it comes to those who are grieving and those who are suffering, and maybe we've been putting protective barriers in between, I still believe God has faith in us to be a beautiful body to one another. And I know this because God is more communal than he is individual. And the temptation of the human experience is really just to push our grief down right? To make our healing our own, to push through it, push past it. I think so often, I think the question I got the most as a pastor walking with those who are grieving is how long is this supposed to last? How long am I supposed to feel this way? When, when will this go away? They wanted a timeline. I think that's also a very Western um, mentality is tell me how long I'm going to have to deal with this pain. Tell me how long I'm going to have to deal with this problem, right? Or tell me how, what's the steps I can take to skip over it. And we do this, you know, often Because we think God failed us and now it's up to us. So we kind of take on this self um, identity, self hero, this self savior type of mentality is I've got to fix this. And God says, no, just come be with me, be with the body of Christ and it will heal in time. Right. I think also we do this as humans because we deny um, human limits. Right. We talked about that before. Death is the destiny of everyone. And yet it still takes us by surprise. And we have to really work to accept that grief and suffering are part of God's bigger story. I think, too, we try to take this on ourselves because grief displaces us communally. You know, we, we start to think no one understands how I feel. No one else is talking about their suffering. No one else is making space for them to heal. No one's, you know, sharing their stories. No one's inviting me for dinner. So I'm displaced. I'm no longer normal because of the suffering that I'm feeling, right? It's not very welcoming in the body of Christ right now. And I think also we haven't been taught how to grieve well. I sit with so many people who go, I don't know how to do this. It's too much. It's too big. I've I've never done this before. I've never grieved before. What do I do? And sometimes there's years and years and years of grief and suffering compounded down within their soul. And they don't even know where to start because they never knew how to handle it and how to deal with it. And essentially, we are the people of God, and we belong to one another. So God's communal heart, it looks like this, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you're fulfilling the laws of Christ, Galatians 6.2. It says, if one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it, First 1 Corinthians 12.26. Or how about this, rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. That's what it looks like to have the communal heart of God. That's Romans 12.15. So I'm going to give some uh, kind of practical steps that you can kind of do um, some kind of guidelines. There's a lot in that document there that you can apply instantly at your church, at your place of work. I think one thing to really point out is if you're an employer and you don't have a bereavement package uh, within your benefits for your employees, please take a step. Take a commitment that you're going to do that. This goes for church nonprofit, entrepreneur, I don't care who you are, please have this in there because grief takes people out and it's difficult to keep going. And when we have these supports from the body, even the working body, right? uh, We can really help support people in their grief. So let's take a look at three things that you can kind of really do. These are three big buckets with some little insights in them. The first create shared language of grief and suffering. Okay. Um, My husband and I, we lost our first son. I miscarried Uh, very late in my pregnancy. And of course, like so many others, I went to my church. I went to my pastors and I said, help me. I don't know what's happening. I can't understand this. Right. And they didn't even have a language to give back to me, to share with me what the experience was that I was dealing with. They couldn't even label grief for me. No one told me I was grieving. I just felt like I was drowning. And that led me to a very dark place. It led me to a place of being suicidal and almost taking my life. And that's a beautiful testimony that God has for me that I'm here now. But had my church had a shared language and been able to say, you're grieving, let's talk about this. Let's go through this together. I think I would have had a very different story. So people, they often also don't know what to say. Uh, When we lost our son, a lot of people said to me oh you know god just needed another angel in heaven and that's wrong in two ways first um, that shapes an image that god took my son and that's not true i don't believe that and the second is it's that's theologically wrong humans when we die we don't become angels and yet we often say that phrase to people like, oh, they're just God's angels. They're just up in heaven now with the, you know, as an angel. And that is not theologically based, meaning that is not biblically founded. We do not become angels. And so when we don't have shared language, people create their own language and that can often be very damaging to others around them. So we've got to talk about this from the platforms that we have, from the places of influence that we have, right? We need to teach people the right things to say, because more often than not, they say all the wrong things and we don't know how to label it for others. And we need to teach our people how to grieve and to mourn, right? One simple step right here right now that you can commit to doing is having a small class on learning to write a lament. Psalms are filled with laments, and they're beautiful, and they're helpful. Um, Psychologists even recommend that writing out our feelings can really help them get from inside to the outside, right, which is processing our pain, processing our suffering, and writing a lament to God, which is one of the most safe Safe and sacred and lovely things that you can do. It's an honest expression of how you're feeling, right? Share how to do that with your congregation. Have a shared language of grief. Make it normal in your church or in your place of work or in your community. The second thing that you can do, second kind of big bucket that you can do to create sacred spaces, is to create a community large enough to hold suffering and grief. So, what do I mean by that? This does not need to fall on the pastor or the pastoral care team. We are all called, right? The whole body is called to come to those who are in need, right? So build support groups, build community partners. There are some incredible community partners, even here speaking now, reach out to them, ask them what kind of, been, what kind of programs they have, what kind of groups they have, what kind of training they have, right? Um, build your community resources. You do not have to do this alone. Build a community strong enough. I think the other thing that's really important that we don't do enough, especially in the Western culture, is become familiar with the ways your community grieves, right? Both culturally and ethnically, right? Don't just limit how you offer these grieving spaces. Grow yourself. Become educated in the way that your community uniquely grieves, I think also to teach your congregation to do what the disciples couldn't do for Jesus. And that's not fall asleep, have eyes and ears, right? Train them, teach them to be responders in a very immediate way to get them the help that they need. They don't have to be doing all the help or all the pastoring, but you can teach them to kind of, Hey, this is what grief can look like because it can look very different. It can look very different for every person, for every experience. um, And how can we step into that? Right. While using that shared language, And approaching people as the body of Christ, Um, how can we help our congregation grow in strength in uh, assisting one another? And the third bucket to create uh, kind of sacred spaces within your communities, your church, or your place of work is create a team of kind of first responders. Okay, so who who are going to be the ones that are trained? Right, Hire someone to come train. I uh, There's some incredible mental health certifications that you can do. Um, I offer those certifications to be a mental health first aid responder to kind of help assist people through different scenarios like this, including suicide and substance use, create a first responder mentality, who's going to be the one that's trained, that's equipped, that has the right information, that has the resources on hand, and is able to walk people through those first moments of grief, those first moments of death and loss and suffering. right? Develop strategies for responding to complicated losses in your community. I know um, suicide is one that the church struggles with. There are some incredible teachings on suicide that are happening at this summit. Put them on your roster. Listen to them. um, Get the information. Start to become a student of what it means to steward people who've been affected by the death of a loved one who committed suicide. Right. Educate ourselves, build ourselves, equip ourselves so that we can continue being the body to one another, to carrying this communal heart of God into the spaces that we hold, whether it be our community, whether it be our church, whether it be our place of work, or whether it even be our home start this in the home as well. Begin grieving as a family if need be. Um, I just want to thank you guys so much for taking this time. My prayer as we close this and end this is that you will commit to one thing, just one. Start somewhere. Start small. Grief is big. Grief can be loud and it can be just extremely quiet. It can be a space that no one wants to enter into. But we've seen in the text today, there is wisdom in being familiar with it. There is wisdom to allowing ourselves to be shaped by it. God has called us to be communal in all things because we are his people. We belong to one another. And so I'm asking each of you, my little challenge to you at the end of this video is find one thing whether it be a training, whether it be um, a teaching on lament, whether it be building your resources, starting with your family, or maybe starting with yourself. Maybe you need to get some help. Maybe you're grieving. Maybe your heart is suffering. Take that time. Commit to one thing moving forward to start creating sacred spaces for people to heal in grief, loss, and suffering. Thank you for your time. Many blessings to you all as you guys continue through this summit. I really appreciate uh, all of you that signed up to listen and to engage with this lesson.
0: Thank you so much for listening. I encourage you to put what you've heard into action today. How are you going to be intentional about building a culture of care, both for yourself, maybe you need to take some time to lament and to grieve or to process grief, or maybe even caring for others in your church. And how does this look like? What does this look like for your church and your culture and community? If you've enjoyed listening, I encourage you to write a review. It actually really helps people find the podcast more easily. And if you want to be reminded when an episode goes live, make sure you follow. Thanks so much. Take care.